Welcome back to the Therapist Deserve Abundance Podcast. This is your host, Dr. TK. So in today's episode, we have another epic interview. We will be talking to Christy Douglas. She is a licensed clinical mental health counselor who believes that mindset shifting is possible and that it will change your life. So Christy has served in the mental health field for over eight years. She also is a workshop facilitator women's group leader, speaker, and founder of a nonprofit organization. Christy's mission is to help women begin their healing process while bringing their hopes and dreams into fruition. She is a strong advocate of you becoming the best version of yourself, which is also bringing clarity to your thoughts, exploring emotional trauma, and challenging you to come out of your comfort zone. She believes that you will increase your awareness by working with her in therapeutic and other services and finding your inspiration towards a healthier you. Now tune in to today's episode. Welcome to the Branding for Abundance podcast. My name is Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and success coach. My goal on this podcast is to simply teach you how to proclaim your victory in your relationships, academic and career endeavors, business, money, and your mindset. Learn some simple tools and techniques to brand your life for abundance and live your epic lifestyle. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Branding for Abundance podcast, where therapists deserve lifestyle and business abundance. I am your host, Dr. TK, and we have another epic and special guest. Um, Her name is Christy. You heard a little bit about her in the intro, but I want her to introduce herself. Just to give you a little bit of background is I've been interviewing some of my students who have been part of the Dope Therapist Academy community, as well as the Elite Coaching community. So today we have Christy. So welcome, Christy, to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. Um, we, we woke up, so we're blessed. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump into it. Let's talk about like, where are you located? Uh, what type of therapist um, are you? Because we have all these acronyms flying around. Mm-hmm. And I know the general public sometimes gets confused. So can you tell them a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor in the state of North Carolina. Um, I'm located in Raleigh. I used to be in Charlotte. So if you Google me, you're going to see me in Charlotte and Raleigh. I uh, do mental health not only for um, African-American women, but also um, minorities. So some uh, Hispanic culture as well. Um, I've been in Raleigh for a couple of months now. So since May. And things have been great. Nice, nice. So I know that you have a private practice. Um, you know, a lot of us have been in this field, quote unquote, for a while. And so how did you get into the field of psychology or counseling? Well, so I didn't start off with psychology. I started yeah. off with computer science. I love these stories. And <laughs> and when I got to calculus and noticed that I had to do math forward and backward, that wasn't for mm-hmm. me. Um I knew that I wanted to work with somebody in terms of helping. And I love the, I love going to meet my advisor for whatever reason. Um, And she, seeing her job made me want to do that more. So I started off with the idea of, I want to be a college advisor and then somehow it drifted into mental health. Um, So knowing substance abuse within my family and things that I didn't necessarily get in my family kind of led me to counseling Um, and then kind of being like a free counselor to my friends Mm -hmm. So that it created this role. 
it's like that's almost like a pro and a con because it's a pro right when you don't realize what you have because you're just naturally having conversations Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden uh when you become licensed or when your friends know you're in school it's like they actually don't want to talk to you because they assume that it's the therapy coming out and we're like but we were always like this we always had right (laughs) i feel that um, you said something also really important, and I brought this up on one of my previous podcast episodes in terms of typically, I don't know every therapist in the world, but it seems that the more and more I ask clinicians about their background and how they got into this field, it's always really interesting that at least a percentage or a piece of it stems from what we were exposed to, whether it was things that was happening around us to people that we love or care about and or things that happen to us. And I find that just always so fascinating because we kind of, I mean, I, I know I did. I use graduate school kind of like as my first, first form of therapy because I yeah. utilize my courses to teach me about like my upbringing. Did you have that experience? Absolutely, absolutely. Seeing the different experiences in my life, seeing my dad on drugs and you know other family members, it was like, you know, and I need to understand why I act the way that I act. In high school, I was like breaking all the rules. My mom would tell me to be home at nine and I come home at 12. And it's like, well, something is going on. Um, but it wasn't until college where it was, um, I, I was aware of why I had these like attachment issues and things of that sort. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. So yeah. you went to grad school and then... Like, what was your first, uh, what do we call them, practicum, internships, externships, so many words. But how did you fine tune, like, who you work with today? Like, can you tell the listeners about who you've worked with up until this point? Yeah, so I started off in substance abuse, um, doing substance abuse groups for DMV um, so that people can get their license back. And that substance abuse is a very diverse but very um, different population right so that wasn't for me it wasn't comfortable for me um, I don't know if it triggered something from like my childhood scene um, things in my household but it just wasn't for me and then I started working with kids because at church I was always involved with the youth ministry and I loved it at first but then all of a sudden it fell off to like I don't want to work with kids no more because I felt like I was babysitting all of a sudden Um, and now working with adults and being able to process your adulthood, how your childhood is impacting your adulthood. And that was like my niche. I noticed that I would have sessions at seven o'clock at night and I would still have like this drive. So that's showed me like, okay, it's late at night, you tired, but you still making it happen. So that's how I kind of narrowed my niche. Nice. And so I'm gonna go back to two things. One is Mm -hmm. the importance of, cause I know that some pre-licensed therapists, also psychology students listen to our podcast. And so stressing the point of having a breadth of experience, meaning you may go into graduate school and say, I really want to work with kids, but you don't know what your life is going to look like or your business or career is going to look like five, 10, 20 years from now. And um, who was it? One of my, uh, it was in my doctoral program during our first semester Uh, One of our professors that taught like abnormal psychology and broke down the DSM, she said, you will start (laughs) to see the world through a different clinical lens. And I'm like, now I'd like, well, back then I didn't like it because it was like everything was clinical. And then Mm -hmm. the other thing she said is because she was older and her children were grown at this point when we met her, she said her whole practice was all children because that's where her love was. But she's so happy that she 
throughout graduate school and internship and like pre-doc and post-doc as a psychologist, she worked with different populations to train her because when she started having her own children, she could not appropriately, and I'm going to say ethically switch between the mother and the therapist hat the way we should. Mm. And so she realized like, if, if, if I'm getting really super irritated with these parents because they ain't treating these kids right and now I'm a mom, now I'm bringing the motherhood into my clinical practice and that's not healthy. So she actually paused seeing children, referred them out and saw adults until her children got like 17 or 18 years old. And then she went back to adults and children. And so I just wanted to stress that because you mentioned a lot of different populations. Mm Mm-hmm. And through school, that's the time to figure it out. Like, cause you can switch sites every year. <laughs> like, figure it Yeah, out. but they don't teach you that. They don't teach you that. Right. Yeah. If you don't have, I would say it really depends on the professor because I got lucky and had some good practicum professors that were helping us get linked to these sites. And they were mm-hmm. like, if we would apply to the same type of site the following year, cause we would have to report where we're applying to in our like pre-doc program. They would say, so why are you applying to another child um, site next year? And we would have to like, they would challenge us. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) So so it was good. Like I did it two years in a row, children. But the difference was one was in schools and one was in schools, but I was able to do psychological testing. So that was totally different. Different, yeah. Um, Now, the second thing you said is talking about moving from children to adults. Um, let me ask, when you were working with children um, before you realized, like, mm, the same for me, what was the interaction <laughs> like with the parents? Like, speak to, like, who was really the identified patient when you were seeing kids? It was really the parent. <laughs> and they, they didn't want to acknowledge that because, and this is how you knew they didn't want to acknowledge it. They would, like, drop the child off and say, like, I'm going outside to sit in the car. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is their session. However, like I need to in, I need to interact with you sometimes because you're like, you need to carry this on home. Um, but it was really the parent. It was really the parent working with a child and knowing why the child did certain things or said certain things. And they will be very straight up with you. Like I, I saw mama do this. I saw daddy do this. So it's like, okay, well now we need to figure out how do we create um, a family session so that we can kind of change some of these behaviors because it's not the child it's the parent. Right, right. And it's a systemic perspective. Mm -hmm. Not all, but some parents don't want to take accountability for. And so one of the things that I do to help the parents have the aha moment is I do this with the kids first. I do, you know, the genome gram for the public, it's the boundary, but just like specific to therapy, fancy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so for the kid to understand the parent, I'll say, you know, are your grandparents alive? Do you interact with your grandparents? Do you see your parents or caregivers interact with your grandparents? They're like, why are you asking me all these questions? Right. I'm like, what is the interaction? But if, if they feel like their parents don't know how to do something or they're treating them the way that they shouldn't, right? Um, what do they recognize between the interaction of their parents with their caregivers? Because the apple don't fall too far from the tree. You know, and when the kids recognize that it's not that they, we condone parents' behaviors if they're, you know, not doing right. something they both do, but right. we just want to teach the kids how to have empathy so that they won't snap so quickly or get angry or shut down when the parents say or do certain things. Right. So I will take that strategy and ask the kid like, Hey, 
do you mind if I do the same thing with your parent and then kind of tell your parents mm-hmm. about what you told me just with the mm-hmm. interaction, not with what they do to you, you know? And they're like, yes. And so I do it with the parents <laughs> and I'm like, hey, did you grow up around your grandparents? Did you see any interaction with your parents? And they're like, yeah. I said, so what do you think, if you're lacking this because of what your parents lacked, what do you think you're trickling down to your child? And it's just like, right. you can hear crickets. It's like an aha moment. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of times parents parent the way that they were parented. Exactly. So I like for any clinicians who are listening and you work with children, the reason why I'm staying on this, you know, just, just a little bit is because sometimes the strategies to get the parents involved, it doesn't have to be difficult. This was my dissertation topic, how to get black parents involved in black children's therapy because Mm. of this very reason, because the parents were dropping kids off or not answering phone calls no collaterals, just fix the kid. Right. And if you don't mm-hmm. fix the kid, I'm snatching the kid out of therapy, but you're not part of the therapy. You got to come. Yep. <laughs> so that's very fascinating. And I'm also wanting to talk, tell the clinicians that are watching or listening that you're, you're very onto something if you sometimes, not in all cases, feel like you're actually seeing the wrong client. And ethically, you shouldn't keep seeing that kid just because the parent wants you to when we know that that's not the identified client. Right. So now you're in private practice. And so uh, who do you work with right now? Like uh, describe your ideal client. Yeah. So African-American women age 16 and up, um, women who feel like they're broken, um, like they're trapped, stuck in their current place. Um, women who just feel like I don't have anything else to give. Like I I'm drained. I'm overwhelmed. Um, the unfulfilled woman, so to speak, where she's just like, you know, I, I know what I want, but I don't know how to get there. Or I just, I don't, again, I don't have anything else to give to anybody at this point. Um, so I work with women that's in college, women that's starting out college, graduating from college, single moms, business leaders but most recently I started working with women that are like ministry leaders and seeing the the pressure that they have to be under in terms of being a ministry leader and knowing how to kind of externalize themselves from that that title and knowing how to be just human outside of being the ministry leader Mm -hmm. yeah that that's like a double duty right there and then also having to shift to their regular role when they're not in ministry right like so many hats to wear. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And so you're, you have a private practice, um, for clinicians who are, you know, we like in dope therapist Academy, we talk to, uh, two different groups of therapists. And so we talk to the therapist Mm -hmm. who has no private practice, but they desire to have one, whether they've recently gotten licensed about to get licensed, um, and then, or have a nine to five, which is fine. Um, and then we also serve clinicians who, have a private practice, but they've hit a plateau. And honestly, they're, as far as lifestyle, schedules, revenue, money, <laughs> they're not at the place where they would like or that they dreamed of with a private practice. So can you describe where your business was um, before we met? And then also, how did you find out about um, the services or the program? Yeah, so I found out through Lori. Me and Lori, we met each other on LinkedIn, um, and then she she told me about the program. Before DTA, there was no C. Douglas Counseling and Coaching. It was just <laughs> literally an idea. Literally oh. an idea. No brain dumping, no nothing. 
Um, Dr. TK, I actually sold my idea. Well, not sold it, like got it exchanged, but I gave my idea to two different individuals because they had the money to fund it. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, if you got the money to fund it and I don't, mm-hmm. then let me run the program and I'll make it happen. But I didn't know the cost of like me selling my idea. So there was no uh, C. Douglas counseling. I was just literally a, a contract therapist mm-hmm. making 50 percent. And mm-hmm. in the moment was very content mm-hmm. with that percentage I was getting because I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. I remember that now because you were coming in asking about the, are you talking about the group practice? Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to say that because you were talking about the percentages. So um, that's a very small percentage of the academy students as well, where, or I'm saying, but it's a large percentage of clinicians in the general public where they actually want a private practice. They thought about it, but they don't know where to start because they're primarily working under someone else's business. And to a certain degree, depending on somebody's mindset in terms of motivation to build their own business, that may be a great place to start. Um, Because I know some therapists are like, I don't want no group practice, especially due to the last 18 months. You know, clients have low key been falling on our lap because mental health is at an all time high. Not as high, though, as it was in the 12 months prior to this year. And that, Mm -hmm. like, have you seen some states have not. But have you seen a change or shift in either the urgency to get therapy in your area or even phone calls? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like people are calling in terms of, and most of the the time is, I didn't think the pandemic was going to last this long. Mm -hmm. And because the pandemic is lasting longer than I thought it was, then like I need to get in therapy and I need to get in therapy now. Those are the most stories that I'm hearing at the time. Right. Right. Because one of the things that I speak to with therapists, especially when it relates to understanding, which we'll get into in a moment, like understanding the back office of your business, Mm -hmm. not just a counseling seat in progress notes, is that a lot of therapists were able, so excited about this, was able to open up their practice with coaching or not. You know, it was an awesome thing that happened, not in terms of the pandemic, but more so in terms of Therapists making themselves available, not even having to be licensed in certain states, but be under certain supervision, being able to get licensed in multiple states was a big deal that wasn't heard of so easily, you know, in the past. But I also just want to give a disclaimer to therapists that are watching or listening is that you need to pay attention or I suggest that you pay attention to your numbers, how many phone calls you get per week in comparison to how we were last year at this time, because the fact is people are going back to work, kids are back in school. And so Mm -hmm. the level of urgency may not be as present as it was 12 months ago, specifically because people are moving back to their new norm. And Mm -hmm. I just highlight that because a lot of therapists got into private practice, like private practice, getting clients is easy, but it's not going to continuously be easy if you never learned how to market your services so what have you learned about your business in the last like six plus months in terms of running it efficiently and effectively? So um, I use my authority resume that you taught us about, and I made that my psychology today, my therapy for black girls bio. And when I tell you like clients are calling back to back, so I'm getting people in my niche. Um, I've learned how to track my, my, uh, referrals. So I know that most of my referrals come from a certain place. Um, I've learned how to, you know, market myself in terms of knowing the framework and 
kind of creating a picture of what that would look like. Obviously, it ain't going to be cut and dry, but at the same time, giving them an idea of this is what therapy is going to look like with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that that's so, so good. So for those of you who are listening who are not aware, um, we have a, I'm going to say a quick acronym that I'll just share really quickly, and then you'll see that she kind of picked apart certain pieces. So we have Blueprint, which is developing a five-year plan, which is never taught in grad school, um, reaching right. your ideal clients. So I'm going to compare this to with, what happened in the last 18 months. So in the last 18 months, some therapists were just taking clients. In DTA, we talk about, Dope Therapist Academy, we talk about learning how to say no because the more yeses you give out, you're actually saying no to those ideal clients, those private pay clients that you may want because now you don't have any room because honestly, you were chasing money and you weren't chasing purpose, you know? So we talk about reaching your ideal clients, creating an appropriate client funnel and framework so that you can paint the picture of what your clients will get out of seeing you. So what we really focus on in DTA is adding value to your services beyond your degree. And then your niche, which is the branding authority resume and such, so that you can you know, earn streams of income in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And be known as the expert. And then, of course, delegation. So would you be able to share like one or two big wins that you've had in your business mindset seeing your ideal clients, like in your private practice? Yeah. Um, so I'm currently at 22 clients. Um, I closed <laughs> my my wait list. Uh-huh. Um, well, sorry, I, I started a wait list rather okay. because I just didn't have like the openings. I noticed I was booking people out three, four weeks in advance and I needed to see them a little bit um, sooner. Mm-hmm. So I have 22 clients. Over half of them are private pay. Um, I love hearing you. Right. <laughs> You see my right. video, they watching the video, they on the podcast, they don't see my face. You need to go watch the video. Like, oh. <laughs> right. And all of them are my niche. Oh all my of them. gosh. Well, now let me ask you, was um, that hard for you in the beginning to say no to any clients? Absolutely. I don't know if you remember this or not, but it was like the first or second call of DTA. And you asked us, how many clients are we seeing in a week? And some people were saying like 10, 15. And I had the agency mindset. This is something I have to always challenge, the agency mindset. And I was like, well, that ain't nothing. Like, I'm seeing 33, 35 clients a a week. Because I'm like, you need to go. Yeah. (laughs) And you said, well, like that, like you, that ain't good, Christy. Like you need to stop seeing that many clients. But I thought I was doing something, right? Um, when reality was, I wasn't doing anything. So now whenever I'm doing my consultations, I'm okay with, if you're in my niche and I have the availability, let's make it happen. But if not, let me refer you to somebody else that can help you because I don't have to be all things to all people. Ah, that's good. All things. I'm going to quote that. You don't have to be all things to all people. (laughs) That is good. Okay. So, oh, and then before you like share another win, can you talk about wait lists? Cause that's a question that a lot of therapists have asked and we've addressed it in DTA, of course, but some therapists mm-hmm. are wondering if they should, or if it's ethical to do a wait list. And so how did you develop your wait list? So I always let them know like, Hey, the wait list is, um, is growing. So if you want to continue with me and you don't have a, um, severe, like any severe symptoms where you need to start therapy now, mm-hmm. then I gather their name, the, you know, the demographic information. Um, if they need to start therapy right now, because they just, a lot is going on right now, then I'll refer them to someone else that is in their niche mm-hmm. that I can account for mm-hmm. in terms of, I know this person personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like with a wait list, when people read your bio and they know that you serve them directly, they know that you can help them directly. They don't mind waiting. 
Right, right. That that is so so good. And and just for therapists who are listening, again, she addressed the ethical piece, which is do your due diligence. Let them know mm-hmm. that if they are in severe mental health need, then they need to be linked as soon as possible. It doesn't mean they still, though, as a, another disclaimer, it doesn't mean that they can't go on your wait list. Um, it just means that you have to educate them about what the wait list means and to give them an approximate timeline, but let them know that that's not guaranteed because it really depends on um, if the clients that you currently have are ready to, we say, graduate, not terminate, but, you know, if they're ready mm-hmm. to move away from services. So thank you for sharing that because that's so, so good. So, okay. So one big yeah. win is you built your own full caseload, full of all of your ideal clients paying your private pay fee or half of them paying your private fee. Yeah. Okay. So share with us one more big win so that the therapist can get excited and fix their um. Let's see. So I always set a monthly goal for referrals. I need to have a certain amount of referrals in a month or I need to reach a certain amount of income or um, profit of the month. Mm. And so far, I have met it every month, Ah. every month. So now it's time that I increase that to challenge myself more. Yes. Yes. So tracking your numbers, what you want, what Mm -hmm. you want to grow, you know, won't grow unless you measure it. And so just like a smart goal therapist, we do that. Well, we should (laughs) be doing this all the time. (laughs) We should be experts at understanding that we have to make a specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and by a timely goal. And it should be every quarter broken down into every 30 days. So that is awesome. That that, that is epic. So let me see. I think I covered pretty much everything. And so what I want to do right now is let people know where they can find you. Do you have, I know that you said you had a wait list. And so um, I always do a disclaimer to the non-clinicians or therapists too, because therapists get uh, therapy. It's just to remind people that when we have therapists on the podcast, therapists can only see people in the state or states that they are licensed in. And so always make sure that if you want to link up with one therapist that's, you know, that I introduce on the podcast, that you make sure to read where they can, you know, conduct services at. And if they're doing online versus in person or both, because that will dictate if you can start with them now. So um, where can the listeners and viewers find you? And do you have anything coming up that you want to share with us? So you can find me on my website, www.cdouglascounseling.com. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Christy Douglas, um, L-C-M-H-C, and Instagram, C. Douglas Counseling, Mm -hmm. um, or Psychology Today, Therapy for Black Girls, all those places. So I have an upcoming workbook for ministry leaders. I told you that most recently I noticed um, a need for ministry leaders to tap into their emotional um, intelligence. Mm -hmm. So I have a workbook coming uh, talking about restoring the church leadership so that you're not only spiritually aware, but you're also emotionally aware. Hmm. That's good. That's good. And so I know that I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, because we were meeting with the team like a few weeks ago and I'm like, let's round up some more interviews. That's uh, I need to hear from the students because it's like such a trend that in DTA, we're like, when our cohort is over and we're revving up in the background for another cohort, don't stop. Stay in the group, you know, stay active with one another. And then after a few weeks, I can't even complain because I'm like, as long as you're running your business, I'm cool. Now, if you're not running business and you're not engaging, we have a problem, you know? And so- I'm so happy to hear about your wins. Um, and usually how we wrap up with the therapist is, let's just say one of your ideal clients 
is listening to this podcast episode, but they still have stigma around mental health. Is there anything that you would like to share with them so that they can reconsider going to talk to someone like a therapist, like yourself? Mm -hmm. So if you are at the place where um, you just feel like you don't have a peace of mind, then therapy is the right place to start. Um, nothing is more important than your peace of mind. And if that means that we talk about those not so easy topics or we talk about those topics that you might seem less very minor topics, then that's what we can talk about. Therapy doesn't have to be always um, stuff that you see on TV because it's not like that at all. But it's more so talking about those topics where you feel like you're you wanting to vent, where venting is processing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you need like you feel like you need a listening ear or emotional um, support. That's what therapy is. So we can process as much as you want to. Um, working on one goal or three goals, obviously, just depending on what you personally need. We don't want to overload it. Um, so therapy is not what you see on TV. That's what I tell everybody. And and I don't believe in once in therapy, always in therapy. So we're always going back to reevaluate your, your progress so that you see that this is beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so, you know, I'm like, I thought we were going to be over, but let me just add one more thing. Cause I'm like, oh, you brought up some like a good nugget. I'm like, woo. Um, the therapy doesn't look like it does on TV. Be mindful of what we see on TV in terms of mm-hmm. hearing that to real life therapy, because some TV shows actually show you the worst version, an unethical mm-hmm. version of what therapy can look like. And then also what you spoke to in terms of like seeing another person to be able to explore or to vent or whatever it may be. The good thing is that, you know, the therapist is not like your friends. Our friends or our family members are very subjective because their goal is to protect you. And so if you've told Mm -hmm. your family or friends so many, let's just say not great things about a partner, what do you expect? You know, if you go and say, we're working out, you know, like they're going to be subjective, but a therapist can help you see both sides. And then the last thing I want to loop back into what you said is in terms of therapy doesn't have to last forever, but because you did build a healthy relationship, which is a golden nugget with Mm -hmm. a third party outside of your family and friendship zone, what I tell my clients is you may see me weekly, then you taper down to bi-weekly and that's how you know you're getting better. And we'll Mm -hmm. talk about it. Then we'll go monthly. And then after that, like you good, you've graduated, but- If you know you're going through, and I know you covered this in your treatment, if you know that you're going to hit a life transition, like your kid is going off to college or you're about to get a promotion at your job and you know that it's a lot of pressure, why not call the same therapist? Because you already have a relationship and say, got a relationship. Booster session. So I just want to put that out there too, because some people feel like they have to start all over. And the fact that you've already built a healthy relationship, unless your therapist is out of commission on maternity leave or shut down a practice, <laughs> go call them and just say, what do you have in the next two to four weeks? Which means what I'm really saying is don't wait until a crisis when you mm-hmm. know that something is coming or a change or a life transitioning is happening. Call. Absolutely. You know, so thank you so much. Make sure everybody will we'll link all her information down in the show notes um, from the bottom of my heart. And I'm sure all the DTA community and elite coaching community, they're really going to enjoy this episode and they love hearing the wins about their counterparts because it really mm-hmm. puts the fire under them. Like, whoa, let me go back and work on my business and see my ideal clients, you know? Right. 
So thank you so much for tuning in. And for our listeners and viewers, make sure that you follow the podcast, you go on YouTube and make sure you subscribe so that you can be the first one that tunes in to when we have additional interviews that are coming to you soon. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.